Welcome back to the California Work Comp Report. Today is Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021. This is your host, Corey Olson, here with Dr. John Alchemy. For today's episode, we have a California Nurse Case Manager's Guide to Discussing MMI with Their Patients. And we are live with the California Work Comp Report. It is me, Corey, like you heard in the introduction. Um, and I'm, I'm here with Dr. John Alchemy. How are you today, John? Good afternoon, Corey. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Just a, a, a kind of a humid day over where I'm at, but that's just fine. So the, the topic of the podcast today is a nurse case manager's guide to discussing MMI, which is maximal medical improvement, uh, with patients in California workers' compensation. And um, we, had, we had previously done an episode on nurse case managers um, that will be linked in the description. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we owe it to ourselves to do a little uh, brush up of it and, and remember what, uh, what a nurse case manager is and a couple other points about them. So, John, what is a nurse case manager as a, uh, in respects to California workers' compensation? A nurse case manager is a nurse with obviously nursing background. It could be a licensed vocational nurse. It could be a a registered nurse. It could be a telephonic nurse, but this is an individual with a medical background that is assigned to assist with an injured worker for some reason. Like for instance, if it's a catastrophic car accident, multiple injuries, they're in a wheelchair, they need home health. uh, They're gonna be in a rehab facility. A nurse case manager will be assigned to that to help um, the injured worker and the insurance company navigate the work comp system, getting them to their appointments, um, logistics, making sure medications get you know to them on time and and all of uh, that sort of thing. Um, they can be assigned to someone who has a significant social challenge. Maybe they're homeless. I've had that happen before, and they're living out of their car. Um, they uh, don't speak English very well, or English isn't their first language, or they uh, can't read. I've had a couple of patients that um, are illiterate and just you know, can't read anything that gets sent to them. Maybe sure. they don't have internet. Maybe they you know, can't even get an email. So um, there's a lot of reasons why nurse case managers uh, can get assigned, but the main take home is they're assigned because the injured worker needs help. Yes, absolutely. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, there's any sort of like legal ramifications to the claim the way that, you know, if an attorney was involved or something like that, it's simply that the patient needs help and that, you know, that would help everybody else close the claim. Okay. So a nurse case manager assigned to a claim to help, um, a patient, you know, just get, you know, get, get to their appointments or, or do other things that, you know, they're, they're just kind of thrust into the system all of a sudden. And, uh, you know, oftentimes they need assistance. Um, And uh, so this nurse case manager, where do they come from? I mean, who assigns them? And, um, you know, it it sounds like there's multiple reasons that one could, you know, come on a claim, but are there, you know, uh, specific or common reasons why a nurse case manager would, would jump on the claim? Well, usually they're assigned by the insurance adjuster. The adjuster has either become aware that there's going to be some significant challenges in delivering or coordinating care, or um, often myself, I will identify that from the primary treater to the patient comes into clinic. You know, I just can tell that they're going to have a hard time. They, you know, really need a lot of help, a lot of instruction, a lot of redirectioning. And um, I'll actually just put in a request for authorization for a nurse case manager. I'll maybe put it in there for six months or three months or just enough to help them get through a surgery and recover. And then, you know, we can kind of take it from there. So, um, so it can be the doctor. um, It can be the uh, insurance company, usually. 
Um, but I would say, you know, either one um, can assign it. And th the biggest question I always get from the injured worker, because nurse case managers come to the appointment so they know what's going on. They ask questions, they find out what the next steps are, they write reports, submit those to the insurance adjuster so the adjuster knows what's going on. But the most common question I get from the injured worker is, is this nurse case manager here uh, from the insurance company to spy on me? You know, that's, yes. that's, yeah. that's their most common concern is that, you know, this nurse case managers here, you know, because they're, you know, want the insurance, they want to help the insurance company out and they don't want to help me. And I think that's the biggest misconception that I need to realign people's thoughts around um, and let them know, no, this nurse case manager is really here as an advocate for the claim. Um, yes. The insurance company pays everybody. They pay the doctor, they pay me, you know, I'm paid to take care of you. It's all, we're all paid by the insurance company, but we're all supposed to have the goal of, you know, getting you better, doing what's right and not ordering things that are going to hurt you. So um, we, we often will have to get some of the patients back on track and let them understand that, you know, having a nurse case manager is really a benefit um, and not a handicap in the case. Absolutely, absolutely. To all of the people, yeah. Who, who developed a very um, a, a very specific and, and lofty ideas over over the last year. Um, I, I can say that nurse case managers are not a psyop. <laughs> Thank not, you for clarifying that. Yeah, yes. they work they work neither for the FBI or the CIA, <laughs> um, as far as I know. <laughs> as they've yeah. proven themselves not to. Um, uh, okay. uh, so the. Uh, um, Okay, so you've clarified that they don't work for the insurance company. You also, you know, it's it's natural to assume that okay, who who's this person all of a sudden who's going to be giving me rides or something like that? Uh, but but yeah, it's a it's a they're they're a nurse. They just kind of got, you know, they got assigned to to the claim uh, mm -hmm. to 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 help. And I mean, that's yeah, they're uh, they're a paid advocate, and obviously the insurance company pays pays their bills. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and that's a good point that, you know, for work, for work comp claims and everything, the insurance companies pay you as well. And that's, yeah. you know, any, yeah, yeah. if there's any nurse case managers listening who has to tackle that sort of suspicion or like, or, or, or establish some sort of trust with their patient or anything, I think that's a wonderful point to make, or <laughs> that would just drive them insane thinking about now the doctor's working for the, no, I, right. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Theory becomes clear. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. At that point, at that point, if your patient's uh, kind of on that uh, on that vibrational level, then then there's nothing much you could have done anyway. Um, and right. uh, and that's what would happen if you got me as a patient if I didn't talk to John. Just <laughs> so um, so how long is the nurse case manager on the case? Yeah, so they, they run on the case typically until the case reaches MMI. And on our podcast, we always like to talk about maximum medical improvement or yes. time to rate the case or 12 months, no change with or without treatment, which is MMI. So they're there to get the patient as well as they can, and then they sign off the case. Yeah, and, uh, and MMI, um, in the, 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 the words that I, only, I could only understand when I started doing this podcast was as good as you're going to get after you mm -hmm. So. Yep. Um, yeah, which, which is a, a very subjective thing. And the funny thing is that, you know, the, the, I mean, it's not the patient that walks up and says, I've reached MMI. So you yeah, know, right. If only it were that easy. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Cause it's all the other people who think that, or, well, it's the doctor that's supposed to, to say that and everything, but, or to determine that, but, um, so now, okay. So we have our framework for what a nurse case manager is. It's a, it's a 
you know, it's a professional uh, a nurse who has been assigned to a patient when a claim mm -hmm. needs help, the person who assigns them can either be from the insurance company or the doctor themselves, or possibly even another stakeholder in the claim. If there was like an attorney involved, I guess they could recommend it. Um, sure. Yeah, possibly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and they do basically any kind of task that is required to make sure that the patient makes it to their appointments um, and that their work comp claim goes smoothly, including uh, attending the appointments, which is just part of the part and parcel with being a nurse case manager. It is for, yep. for work comp claims. Mm -hmm. So, so the the next portion of our podcast here today is that we actually uh, uh, asked a nurse case manager, "What are the most common questions that you get from your patients?" And what we're what we're going to do is we're going to provide those for you today. Um, so that you have those uh, answers kind of in your back pocket when, as we understand, inevitably these questions are asked to you. Um, so I'm going to start off with uh, the first question here. And uh, the first commonly asked question from patients to nurse case managers, John, is how does the MD come up with impairment ratings and does pain come into play? Yes, common question. How does this number get made? So um, we need to tell these injured workers that when you're done, we need to figure out what your loss is and how much you've lost as a result of the injury. So uh, we have a book. We have a book in California. Um, it's basically a doctor's recipe book, if you will. And it tells the doctor how to do a special exam based on the part of your body that got hurt and come up with a percentage loss of that body part. So for instance, your whole body is worth 100%, meaning if you're in a coma, you've lost 100% of your, of your person. Um, if your arm were to be removed, unfortunately, from an accident, uh, you, know, you would lose 60% of your person for that, or 40% if you lose a leg. So it's based on a percentage of an entire person. And, and um, there are special rules. It's a special exam. It's not the typical exam that you might get when you're going in for a recheck or even your first visit, um, but it's, it, it's a, a physical exam that allows the doctor and the insurance company to take your findings, your findings alone, and put them into a context of how much you've been injured and how much function you've lost as a result of your particular impairment. And yes, pain definitely does come into play. Um, pain is considered in all of the ratings in all of the body parts. Um, pain and or symptoms. Um, so uh, that's definitely um, part of it. How, what you can do, what you can do at home, what you can no longer do at home, how fast you can do it, or if you can even do it at all, all of that is um, placed into the context of your impairment rating. Yes. The way that I was thinking about uh, of um, the AMA guides when you were describing it just now is I've never thought of it in the context of if I was talking to somebody who had never heard of them before or anything like that. And I just had the idea, uh, the AMA guides is, is a lot like, almost like a, a math book where uh, instead of the, the, the one train leads from Chicago, one train leads from LA, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's your body. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so, uh, okay, so question number two, um, does the PTP or primary treating physician have to agree with the final res, uh, final report recommendations. Uh, what if a what if a qualified medical examiner or QME um, 
says permanent uh, says that the injury is permanent and stationary, but they want to continue treating the patient or vice versa. What what happens if uh, if if the the insurance company says you are not uh, uh, permanent and stationary, but the doctor says they most definitely are. What what happens? Uh, I guess in either scenario. Yeah, well, let me just clarify for everyone. So the QME is a state assigned doctor and the insurance company can call that at any time. If Another stakeholder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so if if your treating doctor for some reason, um, you know, isn't writing clear reports or there doesn't clear to be a, a clear arc on the treatment plan and stuff, sometimes um, the insurance company will order a state qualified medical evaluator. This can be ordered by patients as well. And they're supposed to step in. Um, you pick a specialty and they're supposed to step in and basically just give an opinion. Remember, um, these doctors are not allowed to provide any treatment um, and they're not allowed to direct treatment. They can make treatment recommendations, but they can't say, you know, um, you know, I'm going to give you Advil or I'm going to do shoulder surgery on you next week to fix your problem. Yeah. So they're only there as consultants. Um, and the insurance company can choose to, um, you know, follow the QME report or they can choose to follow the PTP or a combination of both. Often what happens is uh, a QME report comes back. The insurance adjuster will say, hey, the QME thought that this patient needs uh, maybe some further testing. What do you think, primary treater? And the treater can say yes or no. Um, sometimes the QME says, oh, no, I think this person has reached maximal medical improvement. There's nothing more to do for them. And, uh, you know, here's their rating value. And that, that can go the wrong way, too. I had a case where a QME basically gave uh, my patient who couldn't raise their shoulders um, at or above shoulder level, they gave them a 0% impairment and said there's nothing else to do. Um, this case is MMI, and I wrote back and I said, well, I respectfully disagree. The patient hasn't had any therapy. They've had no x-rays. Um, Their arm only doesn't taken work. Ibuprofen. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not really quite sure what planet that QME may have done this exam on, but um, I'm pretty sure that it's not maximally medically improved. And you can always um, tell the insurance company and the patient, you know, take this into the state, have, you know, have a judge look at this. Um, you know, if this just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, usually it's not that extreme. Usually yeah. they're pretty reasonable yeah. recommendations. But the bottom line is at the end of the day, the PTP has to write their own impairment report. That's part of California Labor Code. There's no way around it. Yes. Um, the, Q, the, the, the PTP can adopt the QME report if they think that it's reasonable and accurate. Um, but they are required to come up with their own version of the patient's whole person impairment and MMI report one way or the other. And that often gets missed because a lot of treaters think, oh, this person saw QME, I'm totally excused from um, having to do an impairment report. Not true, not true. And um, for those of us that do impairment reports for a living, um, after you've seen a few QME reports, you realize that some of them are less than complete um, and less than accurate sometimes. Um, and so it's, it's important that if you see a mistake in the system, you have to stand up and say something and say, look, this needs to be fixed or there's an error here because if we don't address it now, it's only gonna come back later with an, with an attorney and it's only gonna take you know longer and be more expensive and more frustrating for everyone. So um, I try to get these QME reports called out early if there's a problem um, because it only benefits everyone um, you know, going forward. Yeah, if things, uh, yeah, if, everybody, if everybody's doing their job, then it's gonna be a smooth work comp claim. Yep. If, people, yeah. if people aren't doing their jobs, you're gonna have 
these stakeholders just walking in the door. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have the the patient in the doctor's office. You're gonna have a uh the the rep from the insurance company. And then the no, not really, but I'm just imagining you just the whole uh uh kind of like the Richard Scarry's book of of workers' compensation. <laughs> then you've got this sub rosa guy outside with the binoculars looking through yeah, the window. Waiting to, waiting to come in. Okay. Um all right. So Question number three, do the temporary disability benefits stop when injured workers uh, are, are permanent and stationary or, or they've reached MMI? And, uh, and if they don't, then when do they? Yeah, that great question and an important question because a lot of these injured workers are dependent on the income if they can't work. So um, in general, the um, payments for temporary disability will go on for about two years. Um, and at two years, they're gonna stop regardless. Um, but as soon as the patient becomes maximally medically improved, the payments also stop because the patient's no longer temporarily disabled. Um, they are uh, permanently disabled at that point if they can't perform their usual and customary work. Um, and then the decision of accommodations need to be made. So when, when the case becomes uh, MMI or permanent and stationary or PNS, whatever term you want to use for it, um, the employer has to decide if they can make a permanent accommodation and keep that injured worker on, or if they can bring them back to work with the permanent restrictions, like no lifting over 25 pounds. If they can't, the um, employer can release them permanently and go out and find someone else. Um, and then the injured worker is left with um, uh, either going out and finding a job that's within their capacity um, or getting retrained in another um, vocation, another job. Yes. Um, and on to the next question, um, does the patient, well, the, the, the way that the question is worded is, do I have to accept, but does the patient have to accept the settlement offer? Well, it's an interesting question because the offer is really based on the impairment rating. And the real question is, is the impairment rating accurate enough for the justification of the settlement offer? So if, if you think of um, a whole work comp claim as like uh, the building of a house, the impairment rating is the foundation. It's the, the bricks and mortar that support the entire building, if you will. And it basically um, says, you know, how much loss is there? Why is there loss? What are the basis for this? Where are the measurements? You know, what did you do? What are the tests? And all these things are the foundation of the claim. So once you have the claim number and it's the doctor that delivers the whole person impairment, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and once that doctor delivers that whole person impairment, that is the piece that the injured worker needs to be confident in and yes. that they've been adequately um, reviewed. And this is also a concern of the insurance adjuster too. Is this an adequate representation of the individual, because if it's not, you can bet someone's gonna come back and it's gonna to go to court and it's gonna get dragged out for months and years <laughs> if it's not accurate. So it's in everyone's best interest to know if the settlement offer is solid. Yes. You know, and, and <laughs> that's why I just plead with insurance people sometimes like, hey, do not go out hunting for a 0% whole person impairment. That is not what this is about. This is about going out and getting the accurate number to settle this claim so it doesn't bounce and keep coming back and keep coming back. Absolutely. Because um, you know the goal is to find the right value, settle the claim, and have a basis to the claim settlement as opposed to just saying, oh, I, I found a case with a zero. I'm going to use this one. Or likewise, um, the injured worker finds a case with 100% whole person impairment. 
I'm going to use this one. And neither one of those are reasonable um, options. The, the, the real question is, what is the real accurate whole person impairment? Because once we have that number, it gets put into a simple formula that calculates permanent disability. And those two things are probably the most easily confused by everyone in the system. It's the whole person impairment and then the permanent disability. And the permanent disability is nothing more than a number that is generated based on a fixed formula on age and occupation. Yes. But the main driver inside of it is the whole person impairment. And that's yes. what sets the price. Yes. Um, <clears throat> okay, so this, this is sort of the, we have two more questions here, but I'm gonna kind of condense them together because it's just about the same thing, essentially. Yeah, the last question being, what if, the insurance company offers a low settlement amount, but it has future medical care versus a high settlement amount, but no future medical care. Uh, what should the person do and why in that circumstance? And then regarding the future medical care and everything, like, uh, is there a time limit on it? Good questions. Excellent questions. And I think sometimes um, uh, doctors when they get this question or insurance adjusters um, or uh, well, pr probably more the nurse case manager and doctor who are in the field with the patient, when they get asked this, there's always a tendency to, you know, want to try to give the patient your best advice. But, you know, doctors are really only supposed to give medical advice. They're not supposed to give legal advice or settlement advice or say, well, that claim's too high or too low. Now, the way I approach it is I always take them back to the whole person impairment value. And I say, look, um, this is a good value, or this value is correct, or this value is incorrect, in my opinion, and I've already told the insurance company about it. So I, I substitute money for whole person impairment, because that's where I'm allowed to talk to the patient, and that's where I'm allowed to do an analysis on the, the, the medical report mm -hmm. that will ultimately determine their settlement amount. Now, this whole thing about future medical care, and then this other concept, also known as compromise and release. So the way that this works is that you get a fixed payment for your loss based on your measurable um, uh, permanent disability, which is, as I said, based on your whole person impairment. So mm -hmm. you get an amount of money for that. That's not going to change. Um, but this uh, future care means that you can continue with treatment and the insurance company will continue to pay for it. So if I need medications for the rest of my life, or I was told I'd need a surgery in 10 years, hmm. if I keep my future medical care, the insurance company theoretically will pay for that, which what, what the patients don't always understand is that everything in the future has to go through utilization review, um, appeals, just like everything before the whole before the MMI exam. So that doesn't change. So just because future care says this person's going to need a surgery in the future doesn't mean that it's going to be approved because yeah. it all, all the information has to be, you know, brought up to utilization review, et cetera, et cetera. So future care simply means access to ongoing care, but it's still under the same rules as your pre-impairment rating uh, future, uh, treatment was, if that makes sense. Yeah. So everything's not full smooth sailing right after you can no. just, uh, no, 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 no. Can't no, just no. get that face work you've been meaning to get. Right. Uh, as part of, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that's uh, that that is insanely practical advice, and I I I imagine that that 
there's so much going on in workers' compensation that I imagine that the uh, yeah. nurse case managers just might need to brush up on some of this stuff. Sometimes. Well, the, the, and, and here's the other road that I'll just say before we wrap this up is that, you know, I think sometimes patients get this misunderstanding that, oh, I'm going to do a compromise and release. I'll get this money in my pocket and then I'll just go out and get the treatment I want. You know, I'll get that surgery done, um, you know, and and what I caution them on is, first of all, you really need to understand what the horizon is on your treatment needs. So are you going to need treatment only for the next five years, the next two years or the next 20 years or the rest of your life? Really? Sure. Um, and then you have to remember that as a patient, you are paying retail and as an insurance company, they are paying wholesale. So, you know, if they're going to give you $8,000 in the future for you to go out and pay for your own shoulder surgery, um, and then they're going to release you with no, you know, with no responsibility for your future care in the future, um, you better go out and ask what a, what a shoulder surgery is going to cost yeah. if you have to pay out of pocket. You know, oh, last time I checked is about $27,000, $30,000. And there's double double digit inflation in healthcare every year, um, so that it sounds like a good thing, but you better check with <laughs> your financial planner um, yeah, yeah. just to make sure that your numbers are correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have yeah. a have some sort of exponential. Use exponents when you're planning years ahead. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Um, well, great. So we have learned today that you know nurse case managers are good and sometimes even uh, uh necessary yes moving claims forward and getting them closed for sure um and uh yeah are there any kind of final words that that you have today john well um these are all great really great practical questions anyone um, who works with patients or nurse case managers um or even you know the insurance adjusters etc these are just bread and butter questions this uh, nurse case manager brought to us. So I want to say thank you very much and, you know, always send in questions. And if you think that there's a topic on a podcast you'd like to hear more about, let us know. But um, just wrapping this up, nurse case managers absolutely are extremely valuable. Um, they are advocates for the claim. They're going to be with you until the claim is uh, MMI and you've got everything you need. Um, they're a great source of information for the adjusters, for the doctors and the patients. And they're really there to be used as a resource and support for the best um, outcome possible for the patients. And that's the way we need to think about them. Well, thanks again for, for coming on, John. And uh, we, will, we will talk to you next time. And uh, nurse case managers, if you're out there, listen to this podcast and share it with your, your nurse case manager friends. It might, uh, it might help them and it might help their patients. So thanks, Gordon. Thanks again for listening. For more information about our episode, visit our blog at blog.rate-fast.com. And if you want your workers' comp impairment reports done and your claims finally closed, visit us at rate-fast.com. <laughs>